This is the Powered Up Podcast, show 141. Like, I think what people want is like, how do you become, how are you happier? And they want like these quick, like TikTok-y kind of things. And I was like, what I began to realize is it's not that easy. It's a lot of work. Uh, it, it, it takes discipline. It takes building it in. When I wrote the book, Strive is actually an acronym for students, team, routines, innovate, viability, and extraordinary. That Welcome to a real-world education with insight and advice from teachers in the game, where current and former educators reveal what truly sets apart the great teachers and what it takes to make a positive impact on students. Whether you're in pre-service learning, new to the game, or a seasoned veteran, this is the show for you. You'll leave feeling inspired to take action because we are powering education by empowering you. Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Ken Herman, host of the Powered Up Podcast, and I'm here with my co-host, Mr. Matt, striving for a better year, Rogers. Matt, we are like a month into the school year. Um, I referenced later in the show teaching a subject for the first time, which was which was pretty interesting. But what I what I didn't mention was the teacher I was working with. It was immediately apparent that he had great rapport with the kids. The kids really liked him and they could tell that he wanted them to succeed. And in that moment, I was like, yep, this is going to be easy. Anything this teacher wants to accomplish with me will be easy because that is set in stone. So we're like a month in for you. How's it going with your new fifth grade compadres? I'm ready for bed. <laughs> well, it is really late. It is. It is late. No, um, <laughs> You know, it's one of those things, and, and we'll dig into it a little bit in the podcast, but I mentioned that switching one grade level seems like such a minimal shift. And there's some outside factors, like our, our classes moved from three teachers down to two. So my class numbers went from 17 to 25. I've had classes of 29. That is not a big deal. What I will tell you is I have... 17 boys this year and that makes a world of a difference but um it is it is going i don't know if i would say it's going well i i think making this shift with the expectation that i've been in the classroom and, and we'll talk about this in the podcast you guys as coaches um have experience outside and you have more built-in reflection and more thought and sometimes those ideal thoughts more than realistic thoughts because you're not in the classroom to test them but the the main thing is i'm seeing what i'm doing with my class and i'm just saying oof this is not how i intend to run my classroom how do i get back to that as soon as possible realistically it just comes with time i'm still building structure we're only getting into a rhythm of what our daily schedule looks like with things like um beginning your testing etc so that's a long answer to saying i'm existing i'm glad that i'm still awake to to be recording with you right now but uh i hope 
week after week, it gets smoother. We'll put it that way. Yeah, for sure. So tonight we had a, a friend of mine that I met at a conference, which we, we talk a lot about tonight. Um, this was a really, it, it's long. If you're looking at the, at the, uh, you know, the total minutes of the show, it's a long one, but I can promise you it just picks up momentum as we go. This being probably the worst part of the show and every minute we have Rob on the show, it just gets better and better and better. We dive deeper and deeper and deeper into pedagogy, into assessment, into feedback, into systems to put into place for students, into evaluating our own teaching, um, the conversation that you were just sharing. And then we, we transition into what was the inspiration for his book. So he is the author of the book, Strive for Happiness in Education. Um, and <clears throat> he says, you know, it's not sugarcoating. If that title sounds like sugarcoating, it's not sugarcoating. The, the conversation we have around that, the depth that we have in that is, is so real and so necessary for teachers to hear. He recommends another book that he did not write that I am, I've already ordered on Amazon um, based on that recommendation. So this, this conversation just picks up so much quality, deep momentum as we, as we go farther into the conversation. And he nails exit ticket question number three out of the park before it was even asked. So um, if you have anything to add, please feel free. Otherwise, I really just want to jump right into this conversation with Rob. All right. So let's hear from Robert Dunlap after we hear from Teach Better. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Hi, Rob. Welcome, welcome to the Powered Up Podcast. How are you doing tonight? Awesome, man. Just got, glad to be here with you guys. Absolutely. I'm really excited for this conversation. We've been we've been uh, toying around with doing this for a while. So Rob and I met um, almost a year ago. So it was October 2022 at the Teach Better Conference, uh, which is affiliated with the, the Teach Better Network that you always hear at the beginning of our shows. And we had a couple common acquaintances. Rob was familiar with some teachers in Central Buck School District, which is local to me. Um, I was the only teacher from my district, so the Central Bucks teachers so kindly took me under their their wing and let me hang out with them between sessions and after sessions. And and Rob was the other misfit child of the group, and so we kind of uh, got I was th- under the other wing, <laughs> <laughs> got got thrown together and and hung out for a bit. So I'm I'm excited to uh, to catch up with you. So kick things off for us, nice and simple. Officially introduce yourself to our audience. Let us know where you're coming from and give us some. Um, a snapshot of what your career in education has looked like. Yeah, so my name is Rob Dunlop. Uh, I've been an educator for around 21 years. I live up Niagara Falls, Canada. That's actually St. Catharines, but just over the border. So uh, we're always in the States hanging out, watching the Bills and uh, the Buffalo Sabres go at it. So that's fun. Uh, I, I generally would teach uh, in the first 12 years. I taught like intermediate. That's like grade seven, eight, uh, I think down there. And then I eventually became a technology consultant and then added to the portfolio was assessment. And then now I'm teaching uh, new teachers. I'm the consultant for the new teacher program. I'm also the author of the book, Strive for Happiness in Education. And it was just something like uh, when you get this ability and this opportunity to work district wide and, and, and meet so many different teachers, it really generates a lot of ideas and a lot of thinking. So 
um, the book actually was uh, was kind of part of um, that process I was going through in the last like seven, eight years while across an entire board of teachers. So it was fun. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And I and I just want to clarify, Rob is using the word consultant, which, you know, we would commonly use as as coach because you still work specifically for your district or your county, I forget exactly how they're they're organized where you are. For sure. We have like coaches that work with teachers and then we kind of support mm-hmm. the coaches. And then, okay. yeah, so yeah, we call it consultant, but yeah, we're definitely tied to one district. Right. So when you, when you were teaching seventh and eighth grade, what was, what was the dynamic of your classroom like? And did you teach a specific subject with those kids? No, we just basically like over time, you kind of get known for something or or get into things. I generally um, was able like closer to the last five years, I was able to teach like math and language, but then I would have um, phys ed on rotary. But a lot of our teachers teach all the subjects and just jump around. Uh, I think the dynamics of the class is intermediate. So fun. Just getting to know those kids and, you know, they start off quiet and timid and kind of, you know, I don't know, holding back. And then by the end of the year, you love those kids like you're, they're your own and they open up. And I, I really love that grade specifically. That expect, a grade eight is my favorite year just because I just like the way they come in and look at you like you're a weirdo. And then on the, the end of the graduation, they're looking at you entirely different. And you know you've had an impact on them. So And it's, it's, there's a, it's a bit of a challenge. They don't naturally just love you. <laughs> you have to put in a little work. So I think I like that. I think it's kind of interesting because you're saying that you have all these different responsibilities and requirements and you kind of bounce around uh, and you sound to almost point out in that intermediate level, like that that is an asset. What do you think really makes it stick out as a benefit to see them in so many different realms? Whereas a lot of times people going into that genre are specialists that really stick inside their field. Yeah, I, I just don't know much like outside of that, just because that's what we do. But I do think it's fun to do the cross-curricular learning and, the, you know, blend the language into the like the history and the geographies and all that. So, yeah, it's just one of those things. And I think good pedagogy is good pedagogy. I might, my more style is like, I really focus on building those relationships and caring about kids. And, and I find once I get to that point, I can teach them just about anything. And I find the strategies I'm using in literacy are the same that I'm using in history and geography. Um, the big difference is, is obviously you have a comfort with the content, right? That is that, but that comes over time. Like once you've taught, a subject for several years, you kind of understand the content and you know where you're going with it. The first couple of years, you're, uh, you're, you're learning like students, you're, you're learning the day before and delivering it. But I think over time, you get more and more confident with it. So, but it, it is really nice to specialize too. Like I, I do that with the phys ed, I was, I, that was what my university degree is, was in. I have a specialist in that. So I felt like super confident from the get-go in that. And I, I really felt like I was doing that on another level. But over time, I, I feel like my math and language program was pretty good. Like, I, I feel like I, I got where I needed to get to. It just took a little longer to get there because I just didn't have the background. Well, Ken, I just almost want to follow up with you. You know, you're working with uh, intermediate and high school students and teachers specifically now. From my end, I 
the the thought of teaching higher end students, uh, you know, more capable, more independent students, and threading the different content actually sounds fascinating. For the elementary level, it was usually very few times where you could get those to line up because it was at least I'm teaching fifth grade now. I feel like I'm finally starting to really teach content. We're not just doing numbers and operations. We're not identifying shapes. We're not doing these very basic things that we're actually using our math skills in application. Whereas like reading is actually reading content and diving into book studies and those type features. Either of you feel free to chime in. How do you feel like by having further along their academic journey students, not necessarily higher students, but like, you know, a middle school or high school capable student, how do you think that plays into the experience of what you're expecting students when you are managing multiple subject areas? So I, I think you hit on one thing in the way that you said that in what you expect of students. I think that you have the mindset that you just described is because you just came from fourth grade to fifth grade. And a lot of that, and I know this because you and I both teach in Pennsylvania, I know the fourth and fifth grade standards, and there's a lot of overlap. You look at that and say, oh, they know how to do the foundation of this. I can now get them immediately into application. Whereas a new fifth grade teacher might not have that expectation or mindset of students and might have the mindset of, I need to teach them the foundations before they can even try to solve this complicated word problem. And so I think that mindset and that expectation of students can apply K-12, where even as a, you know, as a, if you're teaching an advanced science class or an advanced, um, you know, uh, social studies class where you're diving deep into a particular field of study, they might not, teachers can say, I can expect my students to do this independently or I cannot. And that mindset, I think, is really what drives how a teacher approaches instruction with with that in mind. I don't know what you think, Rob. Yeah, I just I think it's all about like like at that age, pushing them their critical thinking and just like getting them to like they not all of them, but most of them have a base where you can start posing those critical thinking questions, having them look around the world. That's really what I like is like how do you take this and make that stuff they were kind of learning in isolation here and there, make it like relevant to them, make them understand where it fits in in the world. And I, I really like that, like helping them develop that world view is, is, is interesting to me. So, and then it is nice because you're not really focused on like, you know, just the absolute basics. You can naturally jump in quicker and deeper once they get there. It's kind of like technology, right? Like it's like, when you first roll out a program with someone and they don't know, you invest a lot of time just getting them to understand how it functions. But the fun part about it is when you get to the part where they understand how to use it and now how do we, how do we use it super effectively and how do we do really cool, engaging, fun things with it, right? Like I always like that part. I always, when I went out as in a technology consultant role, I always look forward to getting beyond the basics. I understand you got to get that core beginning in and give them the base, but it's, it really gets fun. And I, I find the same in the classroom when, when they have that, you can kind of take it as far as they want to take it. Right. So that's why I, that's, I think that's what I like about that grade and the personalities. I find I laugh all day. <laughs> how, do you, how do you feel your 
So your experience when you were teaching in the classroom, you were teaching, like you said, every, every subject. And now as a consultant focused on new teachers, focused on technology, you're clearly working with teachers that teach all subjects. How do you feel that diverse experience in teaching those varying subjects has helped you be more confident and be more useful to teachers? So regardless of the subject they teach, you're in there supporting them with good technology practices, good teaching practices, like you said earlier, good pedagogy is good pedagogy. Yeah, I think it's just all about being a learner, to be honest. Like, like, I, like it was it was interesting when I started my job, I was, we were using like a learning management system called D2L. And like, it was generally used in secondary, post-secondary. And by the time I was done, our leading user was in kindergarten. And it was interesting, but like, and how that ends up happening is because you just have to listen to people and find their needs and, and, and like, they're the expert in what they do, right? Like you're walking into someone who's an expert at what they're doing in the classroom. Like, I, I, like I couldn't walk in and do that. So then you just listen to them for a while and then you take your expertise and blend it in with what they're trying to do. And you, and it, it's neat because when you have that like understanding of the technology and you've seen so many different uses, you're saying to yourself, well, Oh, I have an idea that you could try, or, or have you thought of this? And a lot of those ideas, to be honest, come from seeing other teachers doing it. You're in another class. I remember when I launched it, we started um, with D2L. We had, I think it was like 330 users in elementary. And uh, I was sitting in an office, not sure how we were going to get it going. And, you know, all of a sudden, so I just went out and asked my best friends in the system. I said, what, what's, what are you struggling with? And they would tell me, and then I would just build it into this, platform and figure out ways to use that platform. And the more I did that, the more people were interested. And that's what kind of took it off. And we adopted 5,000 people a year for five years straight. By the end of it, we we're at 32,000 pre-pandemic using this program, starting at 300. But it was all just based on like understanding like teachers, when, when you're in a consultant role, you have to respect that they are the experts in the classroom. And so, but you have a specific skill that you can listen to them and say, hey, what about this, trying this and doing it just a little bit differently. But I do, I just always have respected what they're bringing to the table first and just made a point of like, my first question, whenever I would work with teachers, I say, what are you struggling with? What, what can I help you with? And then you just listen for five minutes and then you get a good sense. And then sometimes it's not you, right? Like sometimes that's what I love about my new uh, role right now with all, I, I do all the new teacher um, implementation. I work with every new teacher and it's, if I don't know the answer, I just go to the other consultants and bring them in and we work together on that. But the key is the first question is, what are you struggling with? What, what do you need help with? What can I do for you? And then just listen for a bit. And then before you know it, people are like, oh, you solved my problem. It's like, yeah. And then over time, you just develop so many skills that, and especially because I think what's really neat about our, like your, your coach role or our consultant role is we're given time to learn. We go to conferences, we we can we have time to read and, and, and go into the curriculum and do all these things that it's hard when you're teaching full time, you got a busy class, like you're just trying to get your marking done, your planning done, your parent calls done. And so when you step into these central roles, you can you can embed some more professional development for yourself. And I think that goes a long way, especially, I, I especially find it when you're at conferences. Cause you go there and then you're seeing people outside of your district who are just killing what they're doing. Like when I met you and, and all those people at the teach better, it's just like, I remember meeting Tom, um, you know, Tom, and it was amazing what he knew about assessment 
and I brought so many things back from his sessions. So I do think that's like the biggest perk of this job is, you know, you're just learning at a whole different level from a whole different realm of people than that you, than you would have access to uh, within one school. I don't appreciate you guys rubbing in all that additional time that you guys have, you know, <laughs> as I'm there barely able to read my emails throughout a day. Um, if it, if an email is sent after nine o'clock, there's not a chance I'm reading it till the very, very end. If that, no, well, it, it, it's true. And, and I just want to reiterate the one thing you said about, about listening. And that's, that has definitely been my, uh, largest uh, portion of growth as a coach is listening more and really waiting until I'm done listening to have any ideas of how I'm going to support this teacher, not going in with some preconceived notions of, of a solution that I think I can implement right away. And I, I really put that actually to the test today. I taught high school Latin twice today. I have never taken Latin. I've never interacted with Latin. As I left my house this morning, I said to my wife, like, I literally know no Latin other than these pages that I looked at. And I don't know what they mean. And she said, well, isn't like summa cum laude Latin? And I said, uh, maybe it's on my diploma. I still don't know what it means, but maybe that's my my one ounce of Latin that I have. Um, but the teacher was struggling with or new teacher, not not even struggling, just a frustration, like you said, very talkative classes. Right. And the the population of students was not what was anticipated in previous compared to previous districts of students that take Latin. And so I set up activities where the students collaborated almost the entire class and just embraced that talkative atmosphere. And they still talked a lot, but they were really, really engaged. And every time it came to a point where we had to talk about anything technical to Latin, I turned it right over to them. And so we really had like a co-teaching dynamic going on, which I have found really powerful when I'm going in with the kind of the creative mindset of the structure of the lesson, I can turn it right over or be corrected when I, when I reference anything that's incorrect in terms of the content. Yeah, for sure. It's in the, just uh, Matt, to make you feel better, I am going back into the classroom next year and it's going to be like being a new teacher all again. Like I'm going to go from supporting every new teacher in the district to like scrambling because like, you know, like we talked, we were talking earlier about, about like having stuff prepared. Like I'm going in with zero. I'm starting as if it was like, cause all the stuff I used to use no longer works. So it's going to be interesting to go back and then, and, and definitely feel that. I think the other thing in these roles is to like understand that, like, you know, I like what you said about not going in with a preconceived thing. That, that's why I asked them what help you need because they it's they don't have a ton of time. They you got to get to like that point where you're you're there's a value add to everything you do because if you're taking say what we call it a prep like a prep period out of your day to work with me, you need to walk away with something that's valuable to you. If not, there was ten other things you could have been doing that period that were more useful. So I really take that part of the job seriously. But I am I am really excited to go back because. Like in these central roles, it's not like the fun factor is not there as much either. Like you're not with kids, you're not laughing as much, you're not smiling, you're not, you don't have that big emotional feeling at the end of the year. It, it, either way, like it's just kind of like you know you just you go out and you you do your best and and you know you get like a, like last day of school you get like 
one email from somebody saying they appreciate you. And you're like, okay, I see you later. Summer starts. And it's, it's a very interesting thing. But our district imposed um, a six-year consultant max term. Um, it's three years. Then you can apply to get another three years. And I think it's good because it allows other people who, say, have a specialty or have or want to experience th that style of PD and that style of learning that is the reason to go into these roles and then you can learn and then go back and then hopefully um, be more effective than when you went in. That's what I'm hoping. But, you know, things have changed a lot since I've been out of the classroom. Like everyone tells me it's, it's, it's a lot more challenging. So, but it, it's, 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 I don't know. It's like, I kind of love challenges. I kind of like stepping up and I find it more, more interesting. So yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back in there and getting back to the grind. And then, you know, and, you know, tapping on people like who are in the roles that I'm currently in to say, hey, I, I, I don't have time to read this. What, what should I do in this situation? So I think it's a needed role, but it's, it's, it's definitely a totally different role than being in the classroom. I think Ken has said it multiple times and you can kind of reiterate it, but the point stays the same. Like after a certain amount of time, especially in that coaching role, you get detached from what it is to be in the classroom. So you either need to make a choice of either going back and revisiting what it's like, or stepping forward, which unfortunately, sometimes, you know, no offense to admin, the further they get from the classroom, sometimes it's difficult to understand the real problems that are going in the classroom. Um, I think it's it's interesting. So I, I did fourth grade, a rinse, repeat, I could have taught that to the end of, you know, my career, you know, assuming no curriculum changes, but I felt like a master. And I will tell you, and, and I direct this to both of you, I shifted what felt like from fourth grade to fourth and a half grade by moving up to fifth grade. And it is astonishing because I feel the same way. I was gung-ho about this change and all of the, the features, but there is something about even knowing a ton about instructional practice and what you've gained outside of teaching, you know, going to conferences, as you guys mentioned, having the chance to research, doing things on your own. There is nothing like being absolutely demoralized in a brand new position. And I, and I say that out of empathy to others that are feeling this way, because that's how I feel right now. I know that my toolbox is huge. And right now I'm picking two or three items out of that because that's what I'm trying to do to survive. And in some ways I almost feel like that is guilt inducing. I know that I'm capable of so much more and the knowledge this time around, compared to being a new teacher where I didn't have that knowledge, I'm kind of holding myself to a higher standard that's almost as if I was operating in a classroom that I'd taught year after year after year because I know how to interact with kids. I know how to interact with families. I know how to interact with admin. I've got pretty sound pedagogy. I've got decent classroom management. And one, you know, uh, delete four, add five to my title still leaves me feeling completely flustered. And I just think it's an interesting thing because I didn't expect to be completely uh, rocked to the core as, as it is. So I, I'm, I'm really interested for both of you, like what those next steps, obviously, you know, for you, Rob, like it's coming much sooner likely than Ken. 
and and being excited what do you see as your your um foundational items that you're bringing back into the classroom that you're like i know regardless of how challenging this is these are things i'm prioritizing yeah i I want to add to that i was just i was going to ask too like what are like those foundational things like matt said but also what are assets you're bringing back that you didn't have because of your time out of the classroom yeah first of all my expectation is to get totally crushed in my first year like I, i'm going in with the expert with the, like my my if it goes really well i'll be i'll be shocked and when i left the classroom i was very successful in the classroom i i feel like i was really good but i think you have to have realistic expectations it'd be like me going back and playing competitive basketball right now probably wouldn't go that well like i used to be decent at it but now like i, I imagine i would blow an ankle in, in the first five minutes um so yeah, I think the assets I'm bringing in is more like, because especially in this entit role is more like watching the speed of teaching and understanding that is something because from, from what I'm seeing now, it's like the, the, the tools and everything, the tech tools are the tech tools. I've always been tech savvy. So I don't really think I bring in much of that. One thing I do, I'm, I'm going to try and be really cognizant of is the pacing. I, I find teachers um, are especially new, new teachers they're pacing so fast. And I, as I, what I reflect on when I was in the classroom is I used to mark a ton, like, and it was because I was assigning for a long time, I was like assigning, not teaching. So I was handing out work and then collecting and marking, handing out work and collecting and marking it. When I go back based on my assessment role I had, it's going to be way slower. It's going to be way more formative feedback, way more like learning as assessment as learning. It's going to be like, I'm going to, I'm going to actually take things and try to jump in deeper and try to assess more effectively and try to like, cause like, say for instance, I used to mark journals for two and a half hours every week. Um, the, the, the marks never changed <laughs> like from the first week, it was a three, maybe at the end it was a three plus, but like, because like, and I was writing feedback on everything, but like doing things differently like that, maybe using audio feedback, maybe. I'm conferencing more, maybe switching up the style of assignments more, maybe like unpacking what it is to to do this more effectively with terms to my expectations. I think I've learned maybe the most new stuff within the assessment consultant role um, because I feel like that maybe of being a weakness of mine. And um, so, yeah, like I, I think I'll do the same stuff in terms of caring, loving kids and, and, trying to create relationships and being fun and engaging and infusing tech. But I think more like mindfulness around my pedagogy and the assessment around my pedagogy and and trying to move kids forward with that. And at the same time, if I'm being totally honest with you, I'm going to try to do it in a way that reduces my workload in terms of marking. I understand that my planning is going to be really intense. But I believe that that's where classroom management starts is, is great planning, great lessons. And so I, I don't I won't have the time because I don't have everything planned to be marking 12 hours on the weekend. So I'm really going to try to do a lot of pulling kids, being creative with centers, rotations, things like that. But y- you know how it is like you can have all these goals and ideas and you get the class and it's all out the window. You're just like those ideas of like, hey, all these cute little activity centers and kids working independently while, it, it, you know, you don't know what class you're going to end up in. So, but again, it all starts for me about just loving kids at the beginning 
and just, you know, trying to make it a great atmosphere. But I definitely think the assessment stuff is going to be the biggest asset I'm bringing in. To follow up with that too, Matt, I, I think part of your struggle is I, I, I think teachers often, any teacher shifting into a new role, whether it's elementary moving grade levels, secondary, you're, you're changing courses that you teach. If you've been teaching for more than five years, your first year is going to feel like year one-ish, um, maybe year two-ish too, um, and then you're going to be right back at year five next year. But I, I think I want you to start to, to think about this is I, I don't always claim it to be as much of a lack of content knowledge, but a lack of how the students understand the content that you're trying to teach. You're, again, that expectation of student, right? What can I expect the students to understand in this lesson and not understand? And that that's your biggest asset that you have as a fourth grade teacher is you could walk into any fourth grade classroom in Pennsylvania and probably the country and teach a lesson to those kids because you already know what they're not going to understand related to that specific learning objective. Same with me for fifth grade. I've done it. I've walked into other classes and I can immediately teach it because I know what to expect from most fifth grade students. And so as you're going through this new content, it's not necessarily understanding the content, it's understanding the kid's ability to succeed or not succeed and how quickly and, and, and all of that. Um, I, I really liked what you said about the, the pacing, Rob, and the, and the depth and the use of assessments and, and how you're going to, to utilize, utilize that with students. What do you think you're going to do to create more valuable feedback for your students in terms of reducing the markings? Because I would encourage you to do that because I think every teacher could probably do that. What would you say is a criteria for you to know that you're providing your students with valuable feedback in the grading or the conferencing experience? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's like where that conversation goes and do I actually see like results coming out of that conversation? I'll tell you a really interesting story. Um, I was really, right before I left the classroom, I was really working on trying to give better feedback. And someone said to me, the coaches at school said to me, you know what you should do is have them write down the feedback. So you give them the feedback and they write it down. I was like, great idea. So we do, it looks really good. Admin walks in. This kid's right. I'm conferencing kids writing down feedback. And I thought it was great till I read what they were writing down and it was nowhere close to accurate. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, well, that didn't work. Right. And so at that time we had had this tool where I could record them and put it in a portfolio. So then I decided, I was like, well, clearly based on what I'm seeing and them writing it down or trying to explain it back to me, they're not really getting it. So I said, you know, I tried this thing where I just took my device, I put it down, I recorded it, the, the feedback, and then I put it in this portfolio. And at that time, we would have computer labs and computer time. So you'd go to the computer lab and I, I would just say to them, okay, everyone go in. I want you to listen to that several times. And I want you to make notes on the feedback and what you think it is you need to move forward. And it was incredible. That I would, I would read those and they were bang on because when kids are like, when you're in a room with 25, 30 kids 
and you're giving them feedback, they're like embarrassed, they're distracted, they're, they're, they're trying to, 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 to appease you and to make you happy. But that message, I think, is really challenging to get across. And like, I think the other thing is if you throw a grade on it, they're no longer looking at the feedback. They're, they're focusing in on the mark and they just skip the feedback. You know, I teach um, uh, AQ courses, so additional qualification courses to like teachers who are trying to up their like education levels. And it's totally online. And I use a single point rubric and they hate it. Like, cause it's got no grades in it, right? I just give them feedback and they're like, I constantly, some, some of them are like so intense on like, well, I want to know what my work mark is. I, and, and you can see they're so mark driven, but I find by the end of the course, they're like, they're actually improving in those areas because they're not being like, well, I'm a level three or four. I'm going to stop. I'm good where I am. And so I just keep writing this feedback. Then at the end, I just use professional judgment. So things like that, like, I think would be better, but not just handing that single rubric to them, like trying to figure out, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to try to use my tech savviness and my ability with technology to say like, Hey, these guys are working on like a cool discussion post online. Now I'm able to pull those kids and work and, and actually explain where they're at in the single point rubric. I think before I, with grade eight, you just hand it out thinking they're going to read it and change. And then what I reflected on near the end of my last year was, they're not changing. They're, it's, it's, it's not impacting them very much. So why are we? Why are they spending all that time writing, and why am I spending all that time marking? If it's still a level three or a three plus, there's got to be ways to get bigger gains than that. So that's what I look at. And and my 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 thing I am like most obsessed with. I don't know if you have it in your district is like learning goals and success criteria. I don't know if you guys go down that road, but like there's this thing called unpacking success criteria and separating it from the requirements. So if like, let's just say you were to ask them to make a video, you would, you would say like, here's the requirements. It's gotta be this long using this program, blah, blah, blah. But then it's like, what are they actually being assessed on narrowing that down? And, and a, a lady showed me this amazing way to un unpacking it. So if you say like make an engaging presentation, well, what is it? How do you make it engaging? And then I'll teach them using examples and unpack it. So now they, they have 50 different ideas on how to actually get at that engaging part. Right. So, but it's, it's just slowing down. Sometimes I think we feel like we need to rush through it and get to the final product or get to the fun part or whatever. I'm just really going to focus on that learning as assessment stuff a little bit more. It, it's a, that's all in the plan. Mm -hmm. uh, I think one of the keys that you, you highlighted with that, the, the recording and, and taking them to the lab and giving and allowing them to listen to it is, is pulling out that social piece. Like you said, worried about their friends, you know, are they watching me? Are they seeing the feedback I'm getting? But it's the explicit use of your time to give them time to listen to the feedback multiple times and write it down and, and, and digest it. Um, and I, I think that's important. We can't expect as teachers to give students feedback on any type of assessment, writing piece, a presentation they make, whatever it is, a project, for them to write, read it on their own time. They're kids. They do not, you'll have a few that do, but for the majority, they don't care enough to read through that feedback. Like you said, they just want to know, did they get an A, B, C, D, or E, right? And, and I, I think it's important for us to kind of have that reality check it's almost the same for us. Like if you get an evaluation and you just get, you know, proficient and that's all you wanted, you don't really read all the feedback the principal gave you. You're okay. I got my proficient. 
box is checked. Let me go back to lesson planning, right? It's a, it's the same mentality. It's that explicit use of time that, that you utilized. I had a similar conversation with a high school English teacher probably two years ago now. Very similar frustration, giving just tons and tons and tons of feedback on writing. And he felt like it was the same mistakes, the same suggestions for the same students every time. And so we created a grid where, one, he started using Moat to do audio recording. It allowed him to be more efficient, and it was easier for the students to, to listen to versus read. But he took a whole class and gave them the time to listen to it, and they had a grid they filled out. Uh, strengths, improvements. Um, I, I forget what the third one was. There was like something they were – questions they still had. And then, um, and then the next time – they did a writing assignment. They used that same grid. It was just in Google Slides. We added another one. And then it was goals for this writing piece, looking back at the last ones. And the basic idea was, if you're really good at doing X, Y, Z, well, keep doing that. Don't lose that. And if these were things you wanted improvement on, you better improve on them. And if you don't understand how to improve, then ask the teacher. So it just created that value around the feedback. The students start to understand the value of the feedback. We can't just expect them to see value of feedback. That's just not going to happen. It's not a reality. And one thing I try to explain to these new teachers is they're like, that's your lesson for the day. Like, it's not like they, they, it, like the way I see some of it is just like, they'll be like, they'll do that. They'll give the feedback and then they'll move on to something else, which they're going to assess versus like you give them another 50 minutes and you, and you just let them digest it. For you in the planning realm, you're like, man, that period's planned. I just got to be creative in terms of mixing it up, how I do it. If I'm doing peer, if I'm doing self, if I'm bringing in audio, like it, you just mix it up a little. But like that's not planning. What what I'm seeing and what, when teachers are coming to me, they're like, I'm on the web looking for lessons all night. And I'm like, well, if you if you slow it down and and go deeper and and and, and take care of each part, then that one lesson that might take someone two days might take you five days and, and you're just going deeper and it's the kids are getting more out of it. Right. But yeah, it's, and I don't think like I, the, the thing I'd like to see, and I don't know if I, if I'll be able to figure out, it may take me a while, like years to get it, is like, maybe all of them don't want audio feedback. Maybe some are better with written. Maybe some are, are better one-on-one -on -one conversations. Like could I eventually, once the relationships are formed and, and they're motivated to go. Could, could we, could we know where that, could I, could I be able to differentiate that a little? I think when you're starting something, it's hard to, I think differentiation is the easiest word in education for admin to say uh, it's ridiculously difficult to actually do it, but it's easy to say, well, you need to differentiate more, but well, yeah, come into my world and try to differentiate in this classroom. It, I, I find that one. Um, I, I, I just find like, it's, it's, it's harder to do, but it's like, it's always a great goal to have, but it's it's definitely challenging, especially if you have a challenging class. I, I, I'd love to use this opportunity, especially with your guys' insight to say kind of the flip of instead of, Rob, you going back into the classroom, what are you bringing with you? What are things that you distinctively are leaving behind? And that's either things that you constantly are prompting other teachers away from or things that you remember of your teaching that you're like, I cannot believe that I misprioritized X. What are some of those things that you're like, 
I wish for the amount of time that I talk to teachers to say besides, and I know you mentioned the pacing side of things, but like, what are some other aspects that you just feel like on this platform, you can say, please stop doing this. It doesn't matter. And like, I think some of the things that you covered was invaluable feedback is a great one. Overweight, worrying about grades in general can be a great one, but whether that's planning and prep, whether that's gathering materials, what are some of the things now that you have this wide range of, you know, all this plethora of time you have to do deep research, you know, what have you learned really is um, things that you think are overvalued that don't need to be, however you'd like to interpret answering that question. Yeah, it's tough because I, I think there's I think there's a lot of things. I think I hit on the the one a bit before is assigning less and 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 marking less. I think that would be the biggest thing I'm taking away from this. I also think like the when in the classroom, it's just like it's it's like what what when I was using technology, was I using it effectively? Was I actually or was I just using it to kind of to to go through time or like I think I, I do reflect a lot on that and think how much better I could have used it um, now with regards to just overall communication and keeping things fluid. I think I, I was beginning to start to understand how to use it. One of my biggest things that I realized that teachers needed to work on be, from my own experience too was um, efficiency. How do I just get more efficient? Because what, what you realize in the consultant role is that's what teachers need the most is time. But how do you give it to them? You can't. Like, what do I do to make you give you more hours in a day? I can't. But if I can help you be efficient, if I can help you do that and free up 10 minutes here, 20 minutes here a day, then it's like giving you a little bit of time. So it's really about like I think when I reflect back, if I'm getting the question right, is I feel like I wasn't overly efficient. Like I feel like I wasn't efficient in, in really thinking about my time and using it. In, in, in the way in the best way I could, I was just kind of scrambling all the time. Now, in saying that, I might go back with this idea of being more efficient with my time and realizing that that's just teaching. Like it is a scramble all the time. I think one thing you mentioned too, Matt, earlier, I, I didn't jump in and say it is like, it all depends on the cohort. You could have a whole different cohort of grade five students, and it could be an entirely different experience, right? So like, having all these plans and having all these ideas and things that I'm going to leave behind or I'm going to bring forth, it just depends on the cohort. And and I might spend the first month and a half just trying to get them to just like get into a routine and, and, and buy into learning. Right. Then I, I think with like um one of the things that when, like I didn't really think of much back then when I was in the classroom, was the idea of well-being and it was the idea of like making those connections and, and trying to figure out but when like all the work i've done on writing my book and presenting and and thinking and talking to educators and worrying about teacher well-being and my well-being part of it i want to bring back in is bringing that about kids is worrying about social emotional learning and and making sure i'm connecting and trying to figure out like you know and i, I was it's funny i was working out today and i was listening to this motivational guy yelling at me and it was so fun like and i was just like he was giving me this big speech or whatever and i was just like I, i'd love to see if i could get those kids like motivated and, and excited and and understand like what 
brings them happiness, things like that. Cause I think, I think like that is, is what I, I think I, I, the piece I didn't really have back then, I was just this big fun guy to hang around within a classroom, but I want to be more than that. I want to be someone that they leave that going, man, not only did I learn information, but I've, I've learned how to manage stress. I've learned how to socialize better. I've learned how, what makes me happy and how I can find more happiness in my life. I think those are kind of things that I, I, yeah. So I don't know if I hit the question right. Well, and, and, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I think that's a great answer. Um, in a simpler term, the one that I'm thinking of right now is we as educators create so much to our aesthetic and a, like approval. Like, we've all presented, you obviously have published a book. So there's about an amount of fine tuning that when you put something in front of kids, your visual eye has been trained for it to be so nice. And I found myself in that almost efficiency scenario, realizing that it doesn't matter whatever I'm putting as visual media. You know, if I can get a different theme, so it's not the same slide deck or whatever the case may be, but what I was putting up there didn't matter as much as I wanted it to, you know, go, go back. And, you know, we have, I think it's less these days, but the kids with the crazy transition between slides and like they spent all the time on that and they have nothing on the actual slides. I think we're getting away from that being a, a common uh, I think AI point. is taking care of that slide. Go, yeah. Like slides mania. Like but, I think that Canva, all these programs are just totally. making that. Like I used to be a commodity in a school because I knew Photoshop. Totally. Now, like at Photoshop's actually, when I do stuff on Photoshop, it looks 10 times worse than anyone who's using poster my wall. <laughs> like, Absolutely. Like, you know what I mean? So but, but there's, there's, there's an vision. element of like, you're looking you, realistically what the kids need is what, what is the most direct line from your, you know, essential question to the proof of success? And these are the things that you need to include, and it doesn't need to be perfect. We have a, an inside joke with Ken. You know, I don't know if I've ever brought this up in the uh, the podcast that he has his own uh, dialect and his own language. And realistically, what it is is he takes his device, he does voice to text, and he sends before he reads it. He has no interest in actually reading. And for us who are reading text, sometimes we need to ask him to retry that one. But a lot of times we get the general idea that of, of what he's trying to say in that message. And I think that's where I was finding myself spending so much time because I wanted it to look good for me more so than looking good for kids because the kids didn't care if the color palette was perfect. The kids didn't care if the orientation on the slides had it that it looked like a list where there was natural indents without having bullets. Like in my brain trying to be refined, that's what I was doing. And, and that's what I found myself driving myself crazy beginning of the school year. You know, all I needed to do was throw some math problems up on the screen that I could go, oh, that one's done, move on. That one's done, move on. And I found myself losing efficiency. And, you know, these type things, like I, I mentioned it before, we have a friend uh, who was on the podcast recently, actually, who would assign a bunch of problems in the week, like a reasonable amount. 
and give a short window of time in Google Form that the kids would have to plug in the answers to three questions, three questions a week. And so realistically, there was enough time that if they did two out of the three beforehand, they had enough time to get that one question done. But if they were showing up unprepared, there was no way they were going to submit and get any credit for it. And I think as we're looking at that efficiency, when we're looking at making our lives easier, when we're saying, dare I put it out there, grades are really a joke in a lot of ways. You know, it's so much of a joke. So realistically, it's trusting our judgment of how we're interacting with students and what you mentioned, formative assessment being the key of driving your instruction. You know, we are all banding together and saying, yes, that's that's where we are. That's where we need to prioritize our energy. Oh, you know, Ken has a question right now. I'm going to recognize that, come up with a way to address it. It doesn't need to be picture perfect, but it needs to lead to success at the end. Yeah, you know, it does not have to be flashy all the time. And like, sometimes I think, you know, like in the past you try, they, they were in my district at one point really big on like your, your board, bulletin boards and having everything like perfect. And you invest so much time in that, that you, it would, it would, it would, it would actually take away from like your planning. So like if you're spending three hours picking a, a slides go template and you're not actually thinking about the lessons, we can't get caught up in this, this idea of like being like a TikTok teacher and everything being perfect and, and showing this like to the world when, you know, our pedagogy isn't sound. Right. I, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. I think the, uh, the teacher efficiency, I, I, I've, I've thought it before being a coach and now seeing it with so many teachers is so important. And I think it's, I think you both hit on two of them. <clears throat> I think teachers might not be as efficient as they can be because they might not know they, it, and as a teacher, I would say, look at something that takes you a long time every day and reach out to someone, whether it's your grade partner, a coach or someone in your district to find out is there a faster way to do this? There probably is, right? So it could be teacher uh, lacking the skill or knowledge of, of doing something. And then I think the other side of it, like you said, Matt, is self-inflicted wounds. I mean, just today when I taught that Latin lesson, I took a screenshot of the book, pasted it on the top of the slide, and I put a three-square uh, three grid on the bottom, printed it out on big paper because the kids were like dissecting the text. When I copied it, the third grid, the, the right edge line was cut off. So the third grid didn't look perfect. Guess what I did? I walked into the classroom. I did not, for one second, I did not even consider reprinting it, re going back to my computer, resizing it, trying to figure out how to print it perfect because it did not matter at all. And so it's that self-inflicted wound sometimes with that, that efficiency that I feel like teachers fall subject to um, very often. So I want to be a little cognizant of our time here, and I, I want to hit on two things before we we uh, we exit with you. So I I want to I want you to talk more about your book. So I want to do that, but um, before that, I want to just sit on conferences a little bit again. Matt and I have talked many many times on this show about the value of teachers going to conferences, and the conferences have great sessions. They have great content, but I truly think it's the collegial conversations and the relationships that you can form at those conferences that stretch well beyond the content of that conference. Just like, like you and I, Rob, right? We never knew each other before then. And we had fun together when we were there, but we had a lot of 
in-depth conversations about teaching over and over again. Now we're reconnecting on this podcast. I already have ideas of things I want to send to you as you go back into the classroom based on our conversation tonight. So that, that relationship piece. So um, I just want you to speak to our audience about, um, about the value of the conferences. And, and you can decide if you want to tell them about losing an international game of cornhole to me, or, or if you want me to tell that story myself. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, th- that was true. I did. It's coming back to me that we, I did lose pretty bad. I lost with Tom, didn't I? Yeah, you both were Canadian and you, you went up Canadian. against Suzanne and I, both uh, proud Americans who we beat you pretty yeah, bad. Pretty, that was pretty embarrassing. It might have been a shutout. Yeah, I don't even know if I hit the board, to be honest. But that game hasn't made it up north yet. So, yeah. That's my you know, I'm sure it was just the uh, the uh, the skills involved. I'm sure there was no other factors that no would factors have decreased your, your abilities. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to hit on what you're talking about with the conference, though, Ken, is like, it there's this there's this like there's all these parts of learning obviously and and i do agree like the meeting people and getting the connected but there's a piece that i don't think we talk about a lot is getting re-energized like i think there's this thing of like when you go to these things people there are pumped like i do a lot of speaking on the side and when you're at a conference like everyone is in such a good mood it's it's such an easy audience like it's like it, it can't get any easier when you're up on the stage now when you present at a staff meeting it's a different thing because it's like people are have to be there but when people are at conferences they're going there but i'm telling you like i i um was driving home from ohio i live like four hours away or something the ideas ricocheting through my head and like we're we're like propelled by the energetic energy and the conferences are, you know, it's, they're fun places. Like you're up later than you probably would be normally. You're, you're doing more, you're learning more, you're meeting people, you're socializing. You should feel tired, but you don't because it's such an energizing place to be. And then obviously you're connecting with people like you enjoy and that have different skill sets and different knowledges. And you're, you're getting inspired by people who are presenting and you're like, wow, like that Tom Shimmer, oh man, like going to his sessions, I was like mind blown. Like it changed the way I was doing my job. And it not it wasn't just like the content, it was his delivery of the content. It was his passion for the content and we still keep connected. So I think there's so many pieces, but I, I and I wish, I wish we lived in a world where every teacher got to go to a conference a year and it, it obviously financially it's tough, but I think it would re-energize a lot of teachers who are just kind of struggling it, it, like day to day in the classroom just to go out and just be around people and, and you know, it, it not being as intense and there not being a thousand distractions around you. But yeah, conferences are, are so amazing. I'm just super fortunate to be at, but it's, it's, it is a whole different vibe in the, the audience of, of like conferences and staff meetings and, and district events. So I, I think uh, if you haven't been able to get out to a conference and there's one near you, it's, it's definitely worth the, the, the trip. Right. Do you, do you feel like it's sorry to, to deviate a little bit? Do you feel like it's more or less helpful to go with someone to a conference that you know, or to almost go independent? Oh, I think both have their advantages, but like, I love going independent. I went to, I drove to Ohio by myself, really only knew Suzanne Daly. 
because um, uh, I'd presented in Pennsylvania and I'd met a couple of teachers in, in their district. But uh, I, I traveled Australia by myself in Thailand one time. And I think that's what really opens you up and pushes you to get out there and to, and to meet more people. But I do, I do think the benefit of um, going with people is like you, you can end up in these great conversations. You can end them up in otherwise, I don't know if you remember that dinner we went out with after Ken and like everyone at that table was talking education and learning. And there was just, it's, you were it was a quality event. It was quality conversation. We had some heated debates. It was, it was really good. It was, it was a great, it was a great time. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there was a lot of thinking people were challenging, but like, you have to be pretty social to get in those conversations. Whereas a lot of those people were from the same district. So like they can go there together and they can, and they can, they could be talking about it three weeks later in a staff room. I think that it, there is a benefit, but I think like there is something to not knowing anyone. I'm like, I'm massive extrovert. Like I'm massive. I'll talk to anybody. So for me, I'll show up anywhere and just jump in and try and fit into a group. So, but uh, yeah, no, I, I think, I think, like a small group of teachers going from one district and bringing back their knowledge. I would love the I would love the districts to look at it like that. Like, you know, we're, we're sending people to retrieve some knowledge and bring it back into the district and, and improve our programming. And I think the advantage of that too, is you can, especially if it's a larger conference, you can divide and conquer and you can now, you can go to say eight yourself over the course of three days, but now you've been exposed to 20 because you have your team kind of dividing and conquering and, and doing that. And you're collecting those resources from other people. Right. Like it, it's really neat. Yeah. It's a great time. I, I think uh, the most powerful thing is, you know, the action that comes out of it. And when you have people that all came and had those opportunities to process what they went through and turn that into brainstorming specific to your own building, your own district, that environment, that's where real change happens. So often I'll go and feel energized, but I might not be able to identify exactly what energized me from a specific conference. You know, I might learn how to do a tool more cleanly, or I might have a few extra ideas, but does that directly translate to something changing my classroom? I don't know. But I'll tell you, I went to a positive behavior intervention um, support training, PBIS, with my district. And we came and over lunch shared ideas and said, you know, here are our action items when we came back. That felt purposeful. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I, I want you to tell our audience about your book. Um, you referenced it a couple different times in some of the content in it. But just just give us the elevator pitch. What's it about? Um, and why do you think it's so beneficial to, for teachers? Because I will say that it 100% is. Yeah, I wrote a book called Strive for Happiness in Education. It actually stems from struggles I was having within the profession. It's not a toxic positivity, sprinkling happiness all over the place. Is not really what it came from. It came from like several times in my career, I was one signature away from just stepping away. And um, I really had to self-reflect at that point, specifically the second one that led to the book, and just say to myself, like, if I'm going to do this, I really loved this job at one time. I really loved coming to work every day. What has changed? And, you know, I began to realize it was what I was choosing to focus on. And um, I was scared of burning out, to be honest. Like I would see teachers 
pr pretty much my age and a little bit older, burning out and cynical and angry. And I was like, I just remember being like, that's not what I want to feel. I just don't want that for myself. It's very selfishly. So I started reading about motivation. I pivoted somewhere along the line to positive psychology. And it was like, I, I began to think more about like how happy I am and, 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 you know, at the, the, what, and so anyways, long story short, when I, um, I started interviewing teachers who had been in the profession a long time and were still happy. And I started trying to figure out like, just not even with the book in mind, just personally trying to figure out like, what makes that teacher want to come to school every day with a smile on their face? Why are they still learning? Why do they still seem to like kids? Well, what is it? And like, cause I was felt like I was losing that a bit. And, uh, then I just started reading blogs, everything I could get my hands on. And um, it eventually came to me, like a, a friend of mine says, like, I started wanting to talk about it more. And they said, you should present at a conference. So I'd do these little conferences with no idea what was happening. And then someone convinced me to put this into a book. And I was like, I don't know if I can can this. Like, I think what people want is like, how do you become, how are you happier? And they want like these quick, like TikTok-y kind of things. And I was like, what I began to realize is it's not that easy. It's a lot of work. Uh, it, it, it takes discipline. It takes building it in. When I wrote the book, Strive is actually an acronym for students, team, routines, innovate, viability, and extraordinary. That routines chapter ended up being 100 plus pages where the other ones are 25 because I started to realize it's, it's what I'm doing daily that is having the most impact on me. And then some of the bigger ideas of like, it wasn't just all like routines, but it was like those big ideas of remembering why I became a teacher, um, staying more student focused. They all had these similarities, these older teachers, they were all doing the same thing is that they were wearing like blinders, just keeping their eyes on kids. They were able to like block out the noise, the politics, the bureaucracy. And I felt like when I was at the beginning of my career and I loved it so much, that's why I loved it so much is because I was so focused. Cause then I was like, just trying to keep up that I wasn't focused on the other things. Once I got a little more comfortable and complacent in the, in the profession, I had other times to, to pull in these other conversations and see some of the negativity that went on. So I just decided one day, you know, I'm going to write this book and more as a self therapy thing, to be honest. And you know what I find now is the books out and I do all these talks everywhere. I was like, every time I talk, it kind of helps me reset myself. Like, cause I, you, it's easy to forget. It's easy to, to lose those, those habits. I'm, I'm actually just, I've actually just got things back online. My mom passed away in May and it just sent me sideways. I was, I was supposed to be on your podcast, I think, uh, late last year. And, you know, even though I know these things, they're hard to keep and, and to do and to, and to build into what you do. And I think it's hard. I like my message when I present isn't here's what you do to be happy. It's, education it's hard this is a challenging profession uh, when i think of you when you talk mad about like having a challenging year i always think of like the acceptance of peaks and valleys um throughout life and throughout education i think it i think sometimes we we want it to be like this gradual like and it's not like life is designed to have these peaks and valleys i'm going through one right now but it, what um, I love that Suzanne Daly talks about is the idea of rational optimism, where it's like you, you have that you, you're taking a realistic 
assessment of what's actually going on in your in your world you you have a really tough class or your mom passed away or whatever but then you know that through your own behaviors and efforts you'll get back to that place where you want to be or where you enjoy being and for me it's like spreading that message of rational optimism and just getting people to understand like let's not ignore that things are cha really challenging post pandemic but what was what is it that we can wake up daily and do that can help change our mindset like one of the things i don't know if i've told you about ken but i've been practicing gratitude for 1700 yeah. days straight <clears throat> i haven't missed it yeah, what's what's I, the I app you use because I, I started using it and i think it's just great it's to share happy feed happy feed but I, I did it on the day my mom passed like and so it's just for me it's about these small things and we talked about efficiency of like how do you build these things in i love the idea of mutual care like using this this kind of idea of like gratitude with my students because if we're using it with them we're getting the side effect of like doing that with them, talking, learning about kindness, exploring that, looking at the research, like all that stuff, when we're doing it with our students, we can also get that reciprocal benefit ourselves, right? So yeah, I, I, I think I'm super proud of the book. I think it's real. I don't think it's sugar-coated. When I talk, it's not sugar-coated. And I just feel like, and I had several opportunities to, to publish with some people that wanted to change the book in a way that I wasn't happy with. Cause I feel like, I feel like what teachers need is authenticity and people to be real about the struggles that they're going through and, and to be able to help them um, just know that it's normal. And, you know, these, these and, and to give them ideas of where can I start to make some changes and, and, um, and, and start moving forward if I am in a valley and if I'm in a peak, how do I stay on that peak longer? What do I like? I think on the peak is when I when when you when I think when I when I started the gratitude, for instance, I was I was on a peak. I was in a good spot, so I I developed these healthy habits. And then when I ended up in Val a valley, I ended up being able to like I'd had that routine in place, right? So on the peaks, it's a great time to try and try new things and try and build it in. But the the key in a valley is to understand that you'll eventually be back on a peak, and it's normal. I think. The, the, the book I think every educator should read, and I know you think I'm going to say my book, which it's not. It's actually um, Peaks and Valleys by Spencer Johnson. I think it should be not just educators. It should be the number one book of the pandemic because it just talks about that. And the last thing I want to say, if I was to summarize the elevator pitch on my book would be this. When I, I developed, because um, I like design, I designed my own cover and everything for the publisher. Um, they gave me a publisher, like it's a cover designer, but I wanted my own. And I had this spot right above the title and it was a blank spot. And I was like, what am I going to write there that kind of summarizes what I truly have learned? And my sentence is something like, there's nothing more powerful than an educator who loves coming to school every day. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just, and, and for personally, I just want to love my job. And I feel like when I love it, I'm unstoppable and I'm the best thing in front of those kids. Um, so, but I, I just got to figure out how to continue to love it and to, and how to continue to get better at it. You know, Ken, we've talked about this and, and just you sharing this, Rob, like it kind of, it, it stirs up something, at least in my mind, we've often talked about how, as we as educators go through this tough position and, and you know, education is probably more unique than it's ever been. Not necessarily bad, it's just evolving. 
that we often need to take care of ourselves and we need to consider what it's like to take care of ourselves and whether that's outside of the classroom or what have you. And Ken and I set out 140 some episodes with the idea of talking to great educators realistically in a somewhat selfish way. You know, yeah, and, and like it's a beautiful thing that I'm I'm realizing that I want to adjust something I said in previous episodes where it's like, you know, take care of yourself, take care. There is an element when you are going through one of those valleys that you need to do something in education specific to believe in education again. Because I think that there is a slight difference than, you know, I can go and be in the woods. I can go and, you know, run laps or go to the gym. I can do those things to burn off my energy, but I've gotten so much development and satisfaction from not distracting me from what my job is, but reframing what it is about my job that I love. And I think that slight adjustment of whether that is diving in and making slides that are beautiful or talking to other educators that light a fire or listen to a podcast or something. But I do want to encourage that something that is in this field that we love, that reminds us of what we love. And and I'll even use it in a vulnerable way, like in relationships, we go through ebbs and flows with our own partners in certain ways that I'm like, I know that I love my wife, but right now I'm very frustrated and I need to trust where I need to have an experience with my wife, whether it is, you know, sitting down and watching TV or, or sharing a meal that, you know, usually we might be missing, whatever the factor is that reminds me within what it is I'm struggling with, that I still have a love for it and I can see it. And I know that's probably an obvious thing, but no, that's just I something. Think, I think that's that we super insightful, with. man. I, it reminds me of something Suzanne Daly kind of talks about in her talk is like, you know, we always talk about work-life balance, right? And it's almost insinuates that the, the 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 life is the good part, the balance is the bad part. And how do we balance that out? And she says the reframe is work-life satisfaction. And you know, the idea of like self-care, like I I I, I could talk for days on self-care because I think we I think we approach it entirely wrong, to be honest. But I I, I love the idea of like it's not necessarily find happiness on the outside of education. Um, and I think self-care is easy for people to say, go do on your own time. But it's just like my book, the premise of my book is how do you do it in the classroom? Like the idea is going to say in the classroom, try this, try this, build it into your, embed it into your day. Because the key, what's going to bring you happiness in education is, is being happy in the classroom, not running 10 K at night. It might help you deal with some other stuff, but it's not. The key is to get us back to that spot where we actually love doing what we're doing. And then and the idea of like, we never talked about it, but the idea of being open to change, you know, like it, it's, it's hard, it sucks. But like, sometimes you get yourself in a position, you're like, man, like you might be in grade five. You're like, this might not be for me. So you make another change at some point. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's not, I used to be very yeah. stuck in my ways of like what I was going to do. And I, now I just say like, if it's not making me happy, then I need to look for something that does. I need to make another change. I need to just constantly be okay with that and understand that, you know, not everything. I don't have to stick with everything. I just have to figure out what it is I love the most, right? It's not easy. It's it's, it's super challenging, but 
that you know it's what makes us powerful if we can that, tap into it that's what i like about your book is is it's the recognition of it's not easy and you know matt like you said referencing this podcast <clears throat> when we started it i was probably in a peak right i wouldn't have gone on this adventure with you um, you know, bringing this idea to you if it was a really stressful time of my life. This is our, we've, this is our 141st show. We've probably, we have a few other recordings. So we have close to 150 recordings. We record every week. We launch every week, except in the summer we, you know, we bulk our, our recordings together. <clears throat> I can tell you right now, I've not been in a peak for 151 straight weeks, right? But this routine there are weeks that I had a shitty day or it's a God awful time in my life or whatever. And, you know, Matt sometimes can, he says to me afterwards, like, is everything okay? You look, you looked off tonight, right? He knows when I'm in those valleys, but I show up here every week. And this routine, like you said, Rob, the, the routines are what help you get out of those valleys and back into those peaks. Cause they're that, that consistent bond that, that you have. So, we're going to jump into our exit ticket here. And the third question, I think the answer should just be rewind the last 10 minutes of this conversation, right, Matt? <laughs> Seriously. Because Rob yeah. just gave the best answer that we've ever had to the, to, uh, oh, the, man. the third question. Yeah. So, and you'll see exactly why. So these are the same four questions we ask every guest every week to wrap up our show. Uh, so to kick the exit ticket off. What is the best thing a teacher can do to make a student's school experience better? Love their job. Be happy. Is that what you're looking for? That's perfect. That's not <laughs> the one you have the works. best answer to yet. Yeah. Oh, okay. So oh, I thought that was a great answer. It was a good answer. It, it is. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just, I just think you got to want to be there. Kids, kids don't care what you do. They care why you do it. And, you know, they just want someone who wants, loves them and wants to be there with them. So and they can feel that. It doesn't matter how many strategies, skills, things, technologies, doesn't matter. All that doesn't matter. It's th that kid's got to know that you want to be there in that room with them. And, you know, you got to figure out a way to get there. So you're going to have a difficult time narrowing this down, I feel. But what is the best piece of advice you've received? And it could have come from a colleague, a supervisor, or even a student. Yeah, that's a that's a really good one. Um yeah, I think I think it would be it would come from that book Peaks and Valleys, and that it's just that it's okay to struggle at times. It's it's natural. I think knowing it's natural to struggle and accepting it and embracing it and just seeing like it's going to happen. Like like I, I look at my situation losing my mom. That's a natural thing. It's 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 built into my life. It's going. I have a dad. I'm going to lose him at some point. It's just like but just understanding that it's just part of life and part of the process and not fighting it as much. So I think, yeah, just, I think that just, you know, it's okay. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to not be okay and not do anything about it. I don't want to make light of what you just shared, but I have to read the question word for word, the next one, because you practically just said it. Um, so the question normally goes and you can feel free to add on, or as Ken said, feel free to say skip, but it literally goes, we know that the school year goes in waves there are do those days or weeks that we struggle to survive. What is something every educator needs to hear to power up through those moments of struggle? And so I feel like, like we that need is... to reframe this question after this show now and, and absolutely. use peaks and valleys in it. Because it's yeah, literally absolutely. what the question is. How do you get out of a valley and back to a peak? 
Yeah. But but even you know pulling your your advice directly into it is just that that it's addressing that idea of like everything continues to follow that thread and and not to make a connection for you but it's it's a beautiful connection to what you started by saying teaching all subject areas at a high level being able to thread it from each subject to each other what i have heard throughout this episode is you threading that same message of wanting to be and intentionality and the kids knowing and caring will pull you through those valleys and allow you to thrive during those peaks. And so it's just been really impressive to see, like, as you mentioned, there is no sugarcoating in your message. It is pure and honest and cohesive, which is possibly the most impressive thing in education, which often doesn't ever feel cohesive. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. That's one of my favorite comments as a speaker. I love Sean Aker and he talks about hates comparative praise and you're the best speaker or whatever. I can't stand that. What I love is people who come up and say stuff that really impacts me or, or is meaningful. And and that's usually it is that it's it's that they, they love that it's not sugarcoated and they give you the feedback that, you know, it's just authentically real and that it, it connects with them because it feels like I've been through it with them and I have, right? So yeah, no, I, I love feedback like that because it really makes you feel like, you know, you're making a difference and, and you're not just, you're not just giving them quick kind of one-off kind of things that are engaging. You're actually, you actually, cause I actually do care. Like, and, and I, I don't do this like for anything other than that, you guys don't do what you're doing 150 episodes because you want Twitter followers. You do it because you, you care about people. Right. And you, and I think, and it, it's, it's, I love the authenticity of this show and, and it's crazy because you just come on this show and there's no, I didn't even know. I texted Ken earlier today. I said, what are we talking about? And I didn't even get a response. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, I, I really and, appreciate it. Yeah. Well, and, read and, that book peaks and valleys. It's, it's sensational. Well, and even adding to that, that authenticity and, and what you were just saying, like that's, that's the beauty of what we all need this to be too. And that caring, to be honest, I know you joke about the Twitter followers. Ken and I kind of were doing this for not ulterior motives, but we didn't know why we we're doing that. Oh, you know, we'll gain Twitter followers. We'll have a few other opportunities. But you also coming back to that commitment. If you don't care about it, you give up. We would have given up already. And I think that's that's with anything, any commitment. It's, Sometimes you start off wanting something, but then realizing what you really need, right? A hundred percent. And that's, yeah, that's, that's the beauty of it. That's why I'm continuing doing this because it would be easy just to just say, I, I wrote a book, I'm, I'm good. But like, it's just every time you get that opportunity to share it with a group, I have a speaking engagement coming up. It's 450 teachers college last year. They, they graduate. And so I'm the, I'm the closing guy for that. And it's just like the idea of like, you are the guy launching them in like your message is going at the beginning of the career. If I could have had the knowledge I have around this now, the teacher I could have been or still can be when I go back and the, 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 the amount of enjoyment I probably missed out on when I was stuck in valleys. Cause I got stuck in a valley like i was like i'm not talking like i had a bad year i'm talking like i was on i was stuck i was on my way out i couldn't see why i would ever teach again and you know to be here now and to be excited about getting my ass booked next year in a classroom it's 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 a it's a it's a, it's a total different mindset I, I attack um i attack life with now and it's just based on learning from people 
and, and having conversations and writing that book. And I think this is your book, right? This is your, this is where you're learning. This is where you're, you're gathering information and, and, and pushing your own thinking. So I love, I love when you guys like podcasters in general, I just find it's such an interesting commitment of time. And uh, I always think like when you meet these people, it's just their insights into things are so deep. The questions they ask are so good at the right time. So it's, it's a fantastic thing you guys are doing. So good on you. Can, can I make a request? I cannot wait to book Rob, you know, October next year. He said he's, he's excited for his ass to be handed to him. We'll do a progress monitoring how we're yeah. doing. Yeah. October next year. I'll have no hair. I'll be, <laughs> I'll be like, what's left will be gray, wrinkles under your yeah. eyes. <clears throat> yeah, you're, you're okay. sure essentially you're, what I look happy, like right your now. Happiness yeah. is my fuel will somehow be teetering, <laughs> empty, like, like a red flashing light on it. No, it, it, I, it, yeah, it's fine though. If you have a rough year, it's fine because eventually I'll get it back to where I'm, I was and they'll have great years, right? So. Absolutely. Just, yeah. And, and, and even those tough mindset. years can be still great years. Mm -hmm. Like there is no question. It's just a little Stuff less in the moment, the but direction I, that you're in. If I just to go like, like gratitude, that's why gra practicing intentionally practicing gratitude is so important because like there's great things happening all day, but sometimes we, we don't stop to, to think about them by intentionally doing gratitude. It's, it's insane. And I, I, I repeat, like I did it the day my mom died. And if you read those entries, there were really good entries because even on the worst days there, there's good there, but you have to like train your brain in that whole neuroplasticity. You can actually train yourself to be more optimistic. They have a book called learned optimism by Mar Martin Seligman. And that's the whole idea. So we're not stuck in a lot of these patterns. We just, have created and accepted some of these patterns. So I would like everyone always says to me, like, what's the number one, if you have to tell one thing that you learned, the, the number one thing you piece of advice you'd give, I would say it's pra intentionally practice gratitude, to be honest. If I was to give you one quick takeaway that you could do, that would be it. I feel like it, it changes the way it changes the way I see the world. And so it's hard though, because you get other stuff, you just have to like, you have to understand its value. And then, you know, go through a situation and have it pull you through the situation. And then you realize what it's, what it's uh, entailing. Yeah, for sure. So the last question of our exit ticket, what is, I'm sorry, it's easy to fall into facilitating a repetitive classroom. What do you think separates the teachers who are the ones constantly seeking to change, innovate and adopt new teaching strategies? Yeah, I love, um, I love Tony Robbins when he says progress equals happiness. Right. I, I think, you know, I, I'll just tell a story. Then I guess I'll answer the question is like my sister is a ridiculously good teacher, like it, like mind blowing cultural game changer for a whole school. And I was just talking to her and I said, oh, like like when I go, she teaches the same grade. I said, I'm going to have to get some of your stuff. She goes, I change it every year. And I was like, every year. And she's like every year. And she's like and that's what drives her, like that whole idea of like looking at those kids in front of her and not just doing what you have in your binder, not just doing, um, it, she's actually looking at those kids and how to connect to those kids. And, you know, the other thing is, is she's always wanting to be better for them. I think like, I think it, like, you know, I think when you get to yourself to a certain spot, I feel bad for new teachers because they don't have enough base to like take something and then 
take it out of their program and then really amp it up a little. But that's where the fun is. Like that is really where the enjoyment education is. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's just, you know, understanding the value of continual learning is, is what makes the profession fun because if it'd be like working on a line if we just got the same binder. I wouldn't be in education, to be honest, if I got a class and they just handed me the content and said, teach this. I wouldn't, I couldn't do 30 years like that. Couldn't just do 30 years. It would just wouldn't be interesting to me. So yeah, it's just lifelong learner. And, but, but I always think of Tony Robbins, progress is happiness. And, and you think of when you, when you put together a really sweet lesson or a sweet idea, look at your face in the mirror before you go in that room you're jacked to go. You're ready to go. You got veins in the arms. You're, you're ready to see what these kids think about it. And I think, I think we can't lose that just because we are 20 something years into education. We just gotta, we just gotta understand its value. Yeah. And worst case scenario, if your te- if your sister's truly updating every year, you could use what she used the previous year and you would still be relatively, <laughs> relatively uh, new across the cutting the edge. Is- the thing is with her is like what I said, or like with both of us, it's, it's weird. Cause when I was in the classroom and killing it, I, I would give her stuff and she wouldn't use it as is it was never used as is like these teachers who truly are like, like the teacher in the school, they're, they're making their own stuff and they're figuring out that they're, 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 they're craftsmen with their lessons and they're molding it to their students likes and interests and, and they're, they're always pushing themselves. I, just, I think the only thing I worry about that with is burnout, right? It's easy to burn out when you're like that. And so it's about finding that balance of like getting enough stuff in place and then, and then playing with some other stuff, but always just knowing like, I'm always going to try and do something a little bit differently or try something differently. That's why technology is amazing because it naturally evolves you into that. Like new tech comes out, you know, we just got, we video licenses. It's just like, boom, here we go again. And it's just like, you're always, it's always augmenting AI. Everything's kind of, it kind of naturally forces you to learn, which I like. That's why I think I'm drawn to the tech part of things. You know, Rob, before we started this episode, Ken said, this is going to be a great one. And without a doubt, this has been a great one. First off, thank you for the time um, because it has been a pleasure, but I can speak for myself and I'm sure many others and say that I do not want to end the conversation here. How can our audience continue to connect with you going forward? I'm on social media. I'm not super active on it, but uh, I'm at Rob Dunlop edu. Um, That's really, I have a, the one thing I'm really proud of is I have a website called motivated you, which is like motivate edu. I thought this was like clever little title, uh, .com. And uh, on there I have like staff wellness video. I created a full free staff wellness thing. I have access to all like, like say you were looking at podcasts, I can throw, I'll probably throw your podcast up on there. So just if you're a teacher looking to get motivated, happier, love what you're doing and, and you know, you've read the book or you, you haven't, you don't even need to read the book. If you watch the videos, if I'm being honest with you, if you want to save 30 bucks or whatever, you can do that as well. But like, I just, I really was, and I did that just for myself to collate everything, but that's where I would go through if I was someone and I was like, man, I'm, 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 I'm liking this idea about making this a focus, whether it be like a, a staff focus or a district focus or just an individual focus, you could go through and you would see happy feet and you would see peaks and valleys and you would see rational optimism. All of the things I'm talking about have been made into these really kind of fun, um, video, very visual videos of me just kind of 
putting some ideas out there in the world. So I'm really proud of it. Um, so yeah, you could check that out, but yeah, social media, I guess, email, pdu at gmail.com. I love when people email me. I always think it's so cool. Someone read your book, chucks you an email. It's so cool. It's like, geez, that is crazy. Cause still, I still don't see myself as an author. I, I just feel like a teacher. Right. So like, I don't, so when people email me, I'm like, that is crazy. Someone took the time to do it. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. That's, <clears throat> that's awesome. We will link up to all of that in our show notes, which can be found on our website, or if you just scroll down wherever you're watching or listening, Rob, I can't thank you enough. Uh, it was, it was great to see you again. Great to reconnect. This was just a, a, a great conversation. Um, I feel like we hit two, <clears throat> two topics pretty heavily. We talked a lot about pedagogy tonight. We talked a lot about assessment and we talked uh, a lot about striving for happiness and, and just, you know, taking it seriously and realizing that it's, it's not easy, but it is something that we can, we can strive for each and every day. So, so thanks so much for, for coming back on. Yeah, we got to get you back down to PA soon. No, no, the other way around, man. I want you up in Canada. I want you in Canada. I want a rematch on our turf. I'll go buy one of those little things, um, whatever they're called. But uh, yeah, no, I'd love to be back in Pennsylvania. Definitely if I'm down there, I'll, uh, I'll hook you up with you guys and we can do this again and talk some more. Yeah, for sure. That'd be awesome. All right, Matt, why don't you All take right. us on out of here? Awesome. Right, man. Thank you very much. As we power down this episode, Rob, you have left us feeling quite powered up. Thank you for your time and for our audience. Uh, we look forward to another great conversation next week. We'll talk to you then. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to or watching us on YouTube. Each week we get to talk to amazing educators who are making a positive impact on the lives of students, their colleagues, administrators, and education as a whole. It's been such a privilege every week to be able to talk to these incredible individuals, learn from them, grow with them, and better myself and all of education through these conversations. If you haven't already, please consider sharing this with a colleague, someone who can benefit and be powered up from the experience of listening to these incredible conversations. Because of Powered Up, we are powering education by empowering you.